how are we using these tools to support the translator and, and support the community? How are we using these tools to create a better quality translation? But it's still a human that's always the one that's making that decision, right? Welcome to the Essentially Translatable podcast brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. I'm Richard Elsky. And I'm Emily Wilson. And wanting to, before we dive into the episode, share about Giving Tuesday this year is taking a shift and focusing in on raising up prayer partners. So in years past, we have raised funds for different programs and partnerships And the partnership has just shifted a little bit. And being able to sign up to become a prayer partner for Lutheran Bible Translators this Giving Tuesday or earlier. Also, share with your friends to join the Bible translation movement as we lift up our brothers and sisters around the world. How powerful that is and that the Lord hears us. And we want to encourage you. You can sign up at lbt.org. Really excited about that since prayer is the the strategy. Mm-hmm. Emily, you and I with a group were at the Museum of the Bible recently in Washington D.C. There's a history of Bible translation floor at the museum. At the last sequence, there is this room called the Illuminations Room, which shows ongoing Bible translation work. Mm-hmm. And I was just struck by you look at the world's languages represented there. You face one wall and you see all these translated scriptures that are done, and then a bunch of books that are there, like these are also done, but we haven't found them yet. Mm. And you turn around and face the other wall, half, it's all blank, you know, plastic cases representing books where language works either in progress or not yet started. Mm. And it's just a bit overwhelming to think we want to see something in every one of those clear cases in the next 10 years, um, Mm. if the Lord wills. And that's a matter for prayer. Absolutely. So we would love for you to join us in prayer. You can't really watch the news or social media or even commercials between football games these days without hearing about artificial intelligence or AI. It is the buzzword, and we are not immune in Bible translation ministry. A lot of excitement about what's possible with the use of technology, and also some thoughts of what's what's ethical and okay and not okay with the use of technology. So a little bit of a different way of doing the podcast, but Paul Federwitz and I sat down. Paul's our director for field programs, and just kind of had what we we hope will feel like to you, like a fireside chat. We're just talking about some of the issues that are arising in technology, artificial intelligence and machine-assisted translation, some of the conversations that we're having in this organization, and just wanted to sort of open it up for you folks to get a glimpse on what conversations are happening right now. And all that to say, these aren't definitive statements, but just recognizing this is the thing out there. We want to be having good conversations about it. Enjoy this conversation with Rich and Paul. All right, we are in the studio today. That is myself and Paul Federowitz, Director for Field Programs. And we're going to have a little bit of a different episode today. We're just here having a conversation about all the things AI, machine translation, and really just introducing the fact that It's big news. It's an ongoing conversation in our organization. This is not a definitive statement of any kind about our position, but just wanting to to share some of our thoughts and some of the learning we've been doing and some of what we think, you know, will drive our approach to use of technology in Bible translation. So again, Paul, welcome to the studio. Your first time 
in here with us. Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, first time to be in the studio, have all the gear, uh, rather than worrying about an internet connection right. and hoping uh, that, that it keeps uh, working during the entire call. Yeah, so different technology. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, Paul, as the director for field programs, your background, though, is in IT. So it's not completely random that eventually the field programs director had a background in technology because that's the way things are going. So tell us a little bit about your background in the organization, especially with regard to technology and how that forms what we're going to talk about here. Yeah, a lot of background in technology. One day I was trying to calculate it, I think about 30 years uh, working in tech, uh, starting in seventh grade and having a job in technology ever since then until a year ago. So it's a little weird to not be the tech guy anymore. But yeah, a lot of different work in technology with supporting translation, teaching how to use the translation tools, looking at how we're managing data. So just coming at it from a couple of different angles. Yeah. And my background in the organization and more the field practitioner stage of my life here was in a local Bible translation project, working in a program for a language community that hasn't had a Bible translation before. Working in the community development phase was quite a bit of what I did, getting a project started and a team assembled and being part of the initial language work. And really, I was only there for the first book before handing off to other folks. So that's part of my background is seeing the human being side, really, Mm -hmm. of all the connections that need to be made. Certainly technology, when you think, you know, strictly what is technology, technology's been involved in Bible translation. I mean, we had folks using computers and typing into a program called Paratext, which could do some predictive work. If we have the Greek text and we're seeing your translations done this, then we could predict, you know, it's called an interlinearizer, so it didn't sound as threatening as a machine translating, but Mm -hmm. it was essentially looking at the data that was there, we might predict that you might translate things this way. And so my point is technology has been a part of Bible translation, so it's not a new thing, right? I mean, uh, your mom talks about on her episode of the podcast that she typed the work that your dad and his team had done. They used technology called paper and pencils, and then she sat up at night and typed it all on a typewriter. So technology is part of Bible translation, but yeah, I was just thinking. I was just thinking about that. uh, That very thing, actually. It's like, yeah, I remember as a kid growing up in Liberia, and yeah, my mom typing on this typewriter that had been modified by my dad and and Mike Rodewald, our, our previous executive director to be able to do the special characters and then kind of where we are now. And and even looking back and saying like, look, when I joined this organization 18 years ago and I'm joining as an IT guy and, and talking to people and in churches so many times that a question would come up about like, oh, our computer's doing the translation. And at that time, having that answer of like, no, they, they never could. And, right. and kind of having kind of a whole spiel, I could almost give it right now, yeah. a whole spiel of like, this is why that wouldn't work. So it's kind of interesting right now to be revisiting that question and saying, huh, those answers are different and the issues that we're thinking about are different. Um, And so, yeah, talking about that again. Yeah. And since AI as a almost a buzzword now has been in the news in all kinds of ways and people seeing there's even like public access things to AI for like how to generate a rhyme or a song or the newest thing I've been seeing lately on my social media feed, which will tell a little bit about me, but people have been having AI redraw their favorite NFL football stadium, if it, what it would look like if it could seat a million people and then putting that on. Like, I mean, so kind of, you know, worthless, but <laughs> so, but it's a, it's a thing. And then accompanying that also, I'm noticing 
again, like watching sports, with, there's several commercials for companies that are saying, hey, if your organization's trying to use AI, it's only as good as the data that's there for the AI to use. So it's not just, so it's on everybody's consciousness and you know, part of your life and mine is that people are going to ask us and are asking us more and more mm-hmm. frequently, like, okay, so what does this mean for Bible translation work? Are there opportunities you guys using this and doing this? And so this is a, an active conversation in, in our organization, an active conversation in the Bible translation community. You were just with a great group of our field staff in Dallas. You guys had a chance to talk about that. So, Yeah, so there was a, a Bible translation conference in Dallas uh, just a couple of weeks ago with a lot of different translation organizations and a number of presentations about this because this is this is a hot topic and thinking through a number of the implications and then a chance with the LBT missionaries to process that together afterwards and and hear from them and so this is an ongoing conversation and so as we're thinking through it just processing what benefits are there and then what are the new issues that come up whenever there's a change in technology there's new issues that it now raises. Right. And so are we thinking about those and what do we do with that? All right. Yeah. So we're going to take a little detour there and just kind of say broad picture technology. And um, we were talking before we uh, turned on the tape here, which is not the technology we use, but anyways, <laughs> <laughs> before we started recording about this long standing statement, which goes that the medium is the message that was first coined by a guy named McLuhan in a book he wrote in 1964. And has been used to to mean a lot of different things. Uh, but basically, when we take kind of a step back and think about technology, the way he defined it, and again, this is like 60 years ago, but still I would hold pretty true, is that essentially any kind of technology is an extension of a human being or the, or the human mind. And the message that comes in any particular medium of technology, and he's really focused more on communication, but the message is not just what people hear communicated, but ultimately the effect that that communication has, which is wrapped up in more than the communicative event or part of speech itself, but the overall effect that the technology has on a person is the effect of technology, and that is the message. And so just kind of as a framework, and we're, we're still framing out in Lutheran Bible Translators how we want to evaluate technology, but a framework he proposes is looking at a medium, a technology, and asking some questions about what it does. And so I'm going to talk about that real quick, and I'm actually just referencing his article and then using Zoom as an example, because I think that's going to be familiar for all of us, right? And like, gosh, it's uh, late 2023, so four years ago at this point. I would get on a Zoom call if SIL scheduled a meeting with us because they were using Zoom, but it was like kind of a niche thing and all of a sudden like zoom is like everybody's life now right and so zoom we're all familiar with so the questions that are asked by technology and by McLuhan is okay so if a technology extends or enhances human function what does it enlarge or enhance so zoom extends our ability to speak and see people across distance like that is something that it does and it's instantaneous all right so that's one question is what does it enhance the next question is what does it erode or make obsolete or in, in McLuhan's language, what does it amputate if we think about... Um, That's a really strong word, but I think, it, I think it's relevant. Yeah. So Zoom decreases the frequency of travel. Uh, it decreases the demand for physical centralized workspaces, access to social and behavioral cues, minimizes senses like touch, taste, and smell. So those are all things to consider. The more you use Zoom, the less you do those things. And some of those could be benefits, but some of those mm-hmm. are also losses. And so it's just an evaluative process of what 
is lost? That's an important question because a lot of the conversation about new technology is often, what do we gain from this? But it's important to pay attention to what might we lose. I think, you know, when you talk about Zoom, it's it's very relevant even to me being here right now. Yeah. That I am based in Ethiopia most of the year, and I'm able to do that because of technologies like Zoom. Right. But because of what is lost, it's also important for me to come here and be in person a couple of times a year. Yeah. So just very relevant to the way that we're doing this right now. Yeah. And so on the, on the flip side of what is lost, what is retrieved? So maybe things have been lost and a technology comes in and, and makes it possible again. So the pandemic, you know, this is why Zoom was a thing, because there was the loss of the ability to communicate with folks and to see people. And uh, Zoom really filled that in. It allows you to revive relationships that were neglected and to have a different means of communication besides audio only, it's important to see people's faces, right? Mm-hmm. And that's an example of something that's retrieved. Then the reversal is what he says, but what he means by reversal is when this thing is overused or overextended, so what kind of gets turned on its head and almost anything, you know, anything that's good <laughs> in overuse can have a negative effect. And so looking at technology. So again, Zoom, the immediate answer that comes to mind with that is Zoom fatigue. So mm-hmm. Zoom is good. It's good to make those connections. It's great that in the absence of being able to travel or to enhance or supplement those in-person things, you can see people and stay connected. But too much, people talk about Zoom fatigue, which is Still a phenomenon being studied, right? But it's so much time alone, um, seeing people only on screens, and this dynamic of seeing yourself on the screen is also you know, thought to be a factor, and part of the medium is the message. The message changes because you normally can't see yourself when you're talking, but here you can, and, and that makes a difference. So, so those are some broad categories about how one might evaluate technology that was suggested by the author of this article who kind of coined this idea in the first place of let's be cognizant of what technology is and not not just kind of let the tide and the current of of technology and culture just sort of take you along uncritically. Having said that, I mean, I find in in our space, being critical and being a doomsdayer are like, they're so close to each other. (laughs) And so to stand in a position of wanting to find the positive, but also wanting to say, let's be responsible. It's a tough place to be sometimes, and um, there's a lot of folks that would like to see technology just like, why aren't you just jumping on all over this thing? But there's a reason why. In Bible translation, I think a, a critical piece is Bible translation is communication. Communication involves language. Language is a very personal part of people, and so understanding the use of technology, especially with translation, and then especially with Bible translation— really the caution and the reason that we have a conversation and don't just jump in uncritically is because there are people involved and there's God's word involved. So any thoughts on that? Yeah. You know, one of the things that's so important to us is valuing the people that we work with. And I think that that's one of the things that I think about with this is that if you're looking at just translation itself and you're talking about AI and translation, it can seem very simple that if you think about translation as just replacing this word with that word, it's like, well, yeah, a computer can do some of those things. But the idea here is that we're not doing translation for people. We're doing translation with people and we value them and their input and their 
involvement in the entire process. And so this becomes a bigger question that's actually not even a question for us to answer. Right. You know, even as we talk about this, this is not LBT's response to AI. This is our thought process. And as we're talking about internally, but even as we work with each language community, bringing them into that conversation as well as a part of this. Yeah, and so what do you think some of the facets of that communication are that just that need to be paid attention to? Does that make sense? I mean, it's kind of like Bible translation work and, and ministry in general, but this is not just sort of a matter of supply and demand. And so there's a, there's a demand in this area that we can build the supply. And so you're just going to kind of come in and build your mm-hmm. supply factory of Bible translation. There's people involved. And so to come along and say, we've got a solution for you, we've got technology for you. Like what are some of the, what would you predict maybe are some of the conversations or difficulties? I think there's a number of things with that. One is just processing through what does this mean? Like, what is it that's actually doing the translation? How does that affect things? Um, Another thing that's been really a key part of the conversation lately in translation, we talk about it being accurate, natural, and clear, Mm -hmm. uh, that that's three things that are key for a translation. But the other thing that has become much more discussed is acceptability of the translation. And that has even gone to a point of talking about acceptability of the translator. Okay. So is this person a person of reputable character? Does the community know who they are? You know, in some translations, that becomes very obvious, like a sign language translation where there's video and you see the translator. Um, It can be an oral translation where you hear the person. But in a lot of other language communities, I mean, we're working with some smaller communities, People know the translator, and if that person is not of good moral character, that affects the acceptability of the translation. So is AI of good moral character? How do you even answer that question when you're working with this? And so even going back to, there there are so many questions that I'm not even mentioning here, but those are kind of the ones that come to my mind right away as the community grapples with, what do we do with this? And the thing that's interesting to me is like, they may actually have some really great ways to process it that I'm not thinking of right now. And that's great. I'm looking forward to that. But they have to be involved in that conversation. Right. I think with, you know, all due respect to our colleagues in the Bible translation movement, and especially those who are focused on piloting work using machine-assisted tools that involve AI for translation, quite a bit of work on thinking how the tool could be used and adapted and cautions with regard to data particularly. But in, in my mind, at the present moment, not enough thought in terms of involving the community and understanding what this is, what the pros and cons and benefits or, or risks might be, and asking essentially permission, you know, to bringing them along and having a plan to spend the time and being willing to substantially adjust what may happen or may not happen using technology. I feel like there's a lot right now of of conversation about like, we've got a great plan. We just need to convince people (laughs) to use our plan and try it out. And so again, with all due respect to folks who may be listening, I hope as an organization, we will bring in the, as we tend to do the realities of community engagement and to advocate for the real personal stuff that needs to happen and not just a sort of a product orientation or a production orientation. I want to take a step back there actually and kind of maybe unpack a little bit what exactly is involved in translation. You know that when you when you look at it 
you know, I mentioned before, it's not just finding one word and replacing it, but it's really understanding what is the source text? What is being said? What is the context around that? And then working with the community and having them involved in this process. And then you're looking at, well, looking at the local language. What is the context there? And then, you know, really the goal of this is not actually Bible translation. The goal is that people fully engage with God's Word. Right. And so when you take all those different pieces and then kind of apply this conversation to that, I think as we've been talking about AI, we might be hinting a little bit more towards talking about drafting. Yeah. But there's a lot of different parts to what machines can help out with. And so we can kind of dig into that a little bit more. But I think just kind of zooming back out and talking about what are all these different parts and then thinking about how does this apply to those different parts. Yeah. One of the things that came up a number of times in conversations recently is this idea that a translation is not just a product. Right. It's a process. It's a ministry in and of itself. Yeah. As people go through that process, whether it's the translators, as they're studying the text, or as they're doing community review, or as the community is involved with it, like there's a ministry that's a part of that. And so if we zoom back out from translation and talk about it as a process and a ministry, again, that has an effect on our conversation, rather than just talking about it as an end product, that the goal is the text right. um, that, that comes out of it. Yeah, and then maybe even a step back further from that is the goal of ministry, of course, you know, from the eternal perspective is eternity with Christ. But from the in-this-life perspective, you know, to gather people together into communities of followers of Christ is also a, an intended goal of any ministry, and I think that also changes the, the conversation about the ways and means of doing that. It's just good to keep on the radar, and it's a corrective for specialized Bible ministries, of which we are one, to keep in mind that there's a bigger picture for all mm -hmm. of this, that the, the church on earth to accomplish her God-given mandate to reach those around her and to disciple those who follow Christ into a deeper relationship with this earth to give hope and peace in this life and for eternity. These these are the reasons that these things happen. So when we talk about, you know, the end goal is deeper engagement with Scripture, it's for those things. And so once you start to really unpack that, then you say, okay, those are worthy goals, and if technology can be used in service toward those goals at a cost that's acceptable, I guess, mm -hmm. that's okay. But it's you start to to be concerned about what the cost is and and being sure that those goals remain in, in mind. And I, I was reading an article about technology uh, recently where the author said, and this kind of broad strokes, but evangelical Christians, which by and large is, I mean, we get lumped, we kind of have one foot in and one foot out of that as Lutherans, but evangelical Christians in general are pretty quick to adapt technology and look for the utilitarian use of it without being overly concerned about the risks. And I would say as a Lutheran, even though for other things we kind of have feet, I think we have both feet in that camp in terms of like, that's how Lutherans basically adopt technology too. Yeah. It's just good to be aware of that. And that's a, that's a pattern. I mean, I, I have a epiphany sermon by CFW Walter that's like 160 years old and he's preaching about technology 
in his sermon. He's oh talking my. about he's talking about steamboats and stuff like that, right? And he says even then, like people create these technologies thinking that it's for their earthly gain and of wealth and things like that, but they also serve as a highway for the gospel. Mm. So even he, you know, was really always looking for if there's gonna be something that's good, can it be used in service to the gospel? That's not a bad thing. Um, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. to uh to adopt it with looking at the whole holistic picture. And so with that, I kind of wanted to have us talk a little bit about artificial intelligence and just like, what is it exactly that is artificial intelligence? So I I see you've got some good notes here. I'm going to just drop my one, you know, little drop of dangerous knowledge here. I've got a good friend who I asked, like, can you tell me he was involved in data aggregation, like his whole career and, and sold a big company and stuff like that. So I, can, I said, can you just tell me like a regular guy, what's artificial intelligence? And in one sentence, he said, well, it's high speed pattern recognition technology and maybe a little bit oversimplified, but also that just makes it seem so much more accessible that ultimately it's computers doing what computers do mm-hmm. <laughs> is finding patterns and executing on them. But you've got a little bit more to say about that. Yes. I, I like what you just said there, that it's computers doing what they do. You know, it's really anything that you would think would take some thought and now the computer is doing it for you. So being back in the U S just for a couple of weeks and having a rental car. And so driving a vehicle that's very different than the vehicle that I drive in Ethiopia, which yeah. is about four by four, that's about 15 years old, you know, everything manual. And then getting into a car here, and we think of AI and driving as like, oh, the car is a self-driving car. But the reality is it's like all the little dings that's like I get a little bit too close to the lane marker and the car starts dinging at me. You get a little close to the car in front of you and the cruise control slows you down to match them. I feel like every time I do that, I kind of go through that process of like, oh, like why is this thing trying to control me? And then usually about an hour later down the road, I'm like, it's so much easier to drive, right? Like, like, (laughs) like it's just, it's taking care of some of these things that I don't now have to do. And so seeing that place where the technology is stepping in to help, hopefully without too many big dings and everything like that, that are annoying, but just kind of walks alongside you. I mean, even simple things like how long have we had spell check and grammar check in Microsoft word that it's just like, well, yeah, that's what a word processor is supposed to do. But when we're working with translation projects and we're working with languages that have not really been written down before, suddenly spell check is a big issue. You know, being able to have something that's helping watch that for you is a huge help to the translators. That is not something that's available. You know, I've, I've spent years working with translators trying to set up Paratext, the, the, the translation software, and helping them set up things like spell check yeah. and things like key terms. Some terms like salvation, where you should expect that every verse that references that should be consistent in what word is used there. And that's something that we have to set up manually yeah. and then set up things like all the rules about the different ways that the word could show up. Right. You know, you set that all up manually and now looking at tools that can kind of watch the text as you go, starts, you know, watching for that and starts alerting the translator that yeah, it kind of looks verse, like you do this. Yeah, yeah. That verse probably should have had this word and I'm not seeing it. You know, sometimes that waits to a consultant check. Right. And and this isn't to replace the consultant, but if the translator is able to do some of that before they get to the consultant check, how much more can the consultant check dig into some more cultural issues or deeper issues rather than worrying about spell check. Yep. Yeah, and to just sort of 
be the devil's advocate for a second on that whole spell check example is uh, to talk in terms of the categories we talked about. Well, what does that limit? Now, if a language might have a couple of different ways of talking about salvation based on a situation or nuance, if you if you just kind of blindly follow yeah. the spell check or the AI generated uh, example, you lose that nuance and thus you lose some naturalness in language. And so, yeah, it's it's finding the sweet spot of the human being interface and the technology. And maybe it's oversimplifying, but at a certain point also saying, well, who's the boss here? Yeah. And, well, it's yeah. like, okay, when, going back to my, what I was talking about with the driving, it's like, it's alerting me that the lane marker is coming up. Yeah. You know, I'm getting a little bit too close. It might nudge the steering wheel to push me back in, but if I'm yeah. going to change lanes... I'm going to go, you know, and so still leaving that up to the translator to make that decision. Like, no, in this situation, we really do want to talk about it here. But just being alerted to the fact that we are doing it differently than we did somewhere else. So I see you've got some ideas about like the type of AI. I don't know if you want to dig into that or the rule-based and neural networks. So as little or as much as you want to say about that, but that key point is regardless of those, there's an important aspect of AI that has to really be considered yeah so ai i mean i am not an expert in ai and so there's a number of different ways that it can be done you know some of the traditional methods would be a rule-based system where you kind of set up like when this then that type of a thing it's more complex than that but a simple model you have that it's not quite as powerful but you can follow back like these are the rules that are in the system and you can understand how did it get from point a to point b More recently, there's been a lot of stuff with uh, neural networks, which works a little bit more like a human brain does. And, you know, it's watching a lot of different text and it's it's making some of these decisions. It's kind of figuring things out and then working with that. It's harder for the human working along with it to see how did it get from A to B. Right. You know, it might be correct on B 90% of the time. But it's hard to be able to draw a line back and say, well, that's how it got to be, which means that when there's a problem, it's going to take a little bit more work to figure that out. But in either of these cases, there is training that needs to be done. You know, this isn't like, well, it would take us a long time to train a person to do this, but we can have a computer set up and doing it next week. There are some negative outlooks on where this is all leading that people then really want to put the brakes on the whole thing. If people are afraid of something happening in Bible translation, like what might it be? What's the way to engage well? We've talked about the involvement of people all along the way. And thinking of this not as the pilot taking over, but as the co-pilot walking alongside. Whenever we have that type of a situation, that it's like, how are we using these tools to support the translator? and and support the community how are we using these tools to create a better quality translation that's continually giving feedback but it's still a human that's always the one that's making that decision right you know one of the things that we haven't really gotten into up until now is the role of the holy spirit yes and you know this is so key when we look at translation that we are dependent you know the translators are dependent on the work of the holy spirit in their lives and as they're reading that text any part of the translation process as they're working with the team as they're working with the community we are dependent on the holy spirit working in and among that process yeah and that's a thing that really also has to be grappled with here as we're thinking about you know where does technology get involved in this is not forgetting that importance yeah yeah that's a key point i think is i'd want the listeners to know that 
we really feel like the theological implications of this sort of technology haven't been as well addressed as they could be, or at least thought through, and that's something that we're we're looking to see what the greater church has already been wrestling with, and also specifically in this task of Bible translation that people have thought as they've wrestled theologically. But yes, the the role of the Holy Spirit, the role of the acceptability of the person and the translator, from a theological perspective, right, nobody takes their Bible in any language and refers to it as, well, I opened up my English translation of the Bible today and read it. We We consider them all to be the inspired word of God. The God's word is inspired even in its translated forms, right? Which it's kind of a awesome, in the older sense of the word, like scary uh, <laughs> thought that and God uses, you know, fallen, broken human beings and part of that, thus even more the, the reliance on the Holy Spirit. So that's a great call. I think the, the challenge that, and the opportunity that we face as leaders in, in this organization and, and in ministry, along with all of our colleagues, is to recognize some of the cautions, but also to look for the opportunity to say, is there something good about this technology that can be used in service to the gospel? I mean, that's part of the reflective model is not only to look at what is it reverse or obsolete, but what does it retrieve? What does it enhance? And are there ways to, to use it effectively? So in that vein, what might some uses, uh, as you sort of dip a toe into, I should say the use of deeper machine-assisted translation, because really machines have been assisting us in translation in some form or another for you know centuries. So going to this next level, though, what are some initial thoughts in terms of what could be some good uses? Yeah, I think some of the tools that I'm excited about, I've already mentioned things like spell check, key terms, sure. even some tools to be able to kind of monitor naturalness, which the idea that a machine can monitor the naturalness of a language that it doesn't understand actually still also blows my mind. Right. But not as a, hey, this is how you should fix it, but much more of a, just a realization that this book or this chapter is separate from the source language in these ways, yep. whereas this chapter or this book is a little bit closer. And there might be reasons you want it to be closer. There might be reasons you want it to be farther. Like those are decisions that have been made during the translation process. And so having a tool that can actually kind of give you some awareness of that as you're, especially as the, as the community is reviewing it and, and being able to draw out some of those things and say, does this sound good to you? Right. Do you prefer this one or that one? You know, that type of thing that then brings that back out to the human community and says, this is something to be aware of. What do you think about it? And, and make a decision about that. I think that that's really interesting to me. You know, over the weekend, having a conversation with some podcasters, and they were talking about how they use some of the AI tools that have been built in now to edit a podcast. Mm -hmm. And with one click of a button, remove ums and to transcribe and that kind of stuff. And I'm even thinking like, as we do more things with oral Bible translation, and that's a whole separate conversation, but there's a time to have the Bible translation be oral, but then there's also sometimes a community wants a written copy of it as well. And so now you have another step in transcribing. And it's like, if you have a tool that can actually accurately transcribe the oral Bible translation, right. that could be something that's that's really cool down the road and could really be helpful uh, going forward. And then having a conversation with a friend who was talking about as they use AI to say, hey, can you summarize 
this article for me, mm-hmm. you know, just to be able to save them some time in some of the research, not to say it's doing the research for them, but putting some of those summary points together and then thinking through, like talked earlier about the idea that part of that first step in translation is actually going back and understanding the context of what's happening around the source text. And if there was a way that AI could ask it a question, like, hey, can you tell me more about this? And it goes out and does that research for you and comes back with some key points for you to look at. I think that could be really helpful to a lot of translators rather than having to figure out like, oh, well, if I, you know, I remember that tool had this and this tool over here had that resource and and whatnot, but being able to bring some of that stuff together, there's some really cool things that I think could happen there for translators. Yeah, I saw a demonstration, a very, very early demonstration of a product. There's a translation resources ecosystem, which I think, unfortunately, they changed its name now, but I really liked it when it's called that because it has TRE and then they had a AI interface with it called chat TRE. Right. So and what it would do is is what you just described. There's a movement to, you know, be sure that folks that are working in ministry, especially Bible ministry, have access to resources that could help them. But I guess I shouldn't speak in terribly broad strokes here, but the folks that I worked closely with in Botswana, just having access to a bunch of books isn't even if they're on Logos or whatever, still doesn't really remove a lot of barriers because you know, who wants to go through all those books and figure out which one you should look it up in or compare this one or that one. But the idea is all of that stuff being loaded in a in a machine, and then you say to it, well, can you tell me more about, like, Ezekiel's measurements of the temple or something <laughs> like that? It can just kind of verbally tell it back to you and explain that in a way that's helpful or if that's what you're looking for. And then, so the, the ethics of that is, it gets to, like, that could really remove some barriers, but then the question that needs to follow that is, okay, but what information's in there to yep. draw from? Absolutely. What's limited at that point? And, yeah, are their perspectives or limitations missing if that's the way information is accessed? Or, I guess it's more, the more you've talked about it and the pilot analogy keeps coming to mind, it's not the thing itself that's the problem, it's the over-reliance on the mm. like a pilot. And when I fly all over the country and around the world, I mean, most of the time there's a machine flying that plane, right? But ultimately the pilot has to understand what the machine's doing. And and when needed, the pilot has to fly the plane. And a lot of the risk is if people kind of check out with their responsibility or or stop using their own minds and being critical about what the technology is telling them, that's where you potentially have things that we get concerned about. Yep, very much so. There are some really interesting opportunities here. There are some smart people working on this that have really great intention. And like we want to work with them, but we also want to be thinking along the lines of what are the ethical issues? What are the theological issues that we are missing that also need to be discussed and thought through as, as we go through this process? Yeah, absolutely. And I think keeping in mind the human being experience with it all too is the joy of doing the work of translation for your own language. To be the person who gets to do that, it, it's awesome if the technology aids or enhances that, but you wouldn't want to see a person like lose the ability to do that. And as you said, so those those are considerations, a lot of smart people working on that. As an organization, we are invested in participating in the good use of technology that does enhance the work of Bible ministry, but most importantly, that serves and benefits the language communities that for whom those texts are ultimately intended, the churches for whom those texts will serve as the lifeblood for their evangelism and discipleship ministries. 
there's a lot that's changing in this area. I mean, daily, the things that are changing. And so there's a lot to be worked out, a lot to be thought through, and kind of having not just a push for what can the technology do, which is exciting, but also a thought process for what is it doing that maybe was unintended, which may be good and may not be, but continuing to have that open conversation about what are the ethical aspects of this? What are the theological aspects of this that go alongside of it? What is the community aspect of it? And how are we involving them in it? There's just all these different pieces that are part of the conversation too. Yep. That's an amazing time to be in ministry. So thanks a lot, Paul, and uh, thanks for the conversation. Look forward to seeing where we go next. Yeah, this was, uh, this was a lot of fun. Thanks. So listening in on this conversation with Rich and Paul was just awesome to be able to reflect on this gift that we have been given in Scripture mm-hmm. and the value that we have. And it's not just like, let's dive headfirst into this new technology. Let us weigh these things. Let us be discerning and and practice wisdom. Ultimately, this is God's word. And uh, having the care, I loved what Paul said is it's a process. It's not a product. And the communities that are transformed in the middle of the process, because community review takes place. Right. And for individuals who are still grappling with, okay, we don't know all of the effects. We don't know all of the implications. What is going to be enhanced? What is going to be amputated? In, right. You know, and the losses and the work of the Holy Spirit, what is it that we are leaning into for this artificial intelligence and the machine-assisted translation? That's lots to unpack, lots to pray over, really. Yeah. Um, I want to personally invite you that if you have thoughts or reflections on technology or experiences that you'd like to share or, or anything that you'd like to let me know about or to communicate, you could write me an email, rich at lbt.org. That's rich at lbt.org. And I'd love to hear your feedback on the episode, any content or any thoughts that you think, hey, I feel like it would be really great if you guys were also thinking about these kinds of things. Um, we'd love that feedback. Thank you for listening to the Essentially Translatable podcast brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. You can find past episodes of the podcast at lbt.org slash podcast or subscribe on Audible, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Lutheran Bible Translators' social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or go to lbt.org to find out how you can get involved in the Bible translation movement and put God's Word in their hands. The Essentially Translatable podcast is edited and produced by Audrey Sider. Executive producer is Emily Wilson. Artwork designed by Caleb Rodewald and Sarah Rodowski. Music written and performed by Rob Bite. I'm Rich Rodowski. So long for now. <laughs>